And Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, desiring to know you and desiring to be known by you. God, we love you and we want to be encouraged in our life by you. Father, we pray this morning that we would come and be able to worship you, Lord, that we would be able to see you as God and to be able to know you that way. Father, we pray this morning that we would put all the cares and interests of the world aside and be able to focus on you as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as the one who brings meaning and value to our lives. And Father, we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to ask for forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. God, maybe we've done something wrong. Maybe we just didn't do the things that you've called us to do in life. So Lord, we're just going to take a moment to just get everything out on the table, get everything out in the open, to quietly to ourselves ask for forgiveness for those things. Let's just do it now. Let's just take a moment. And God, we just thank you that you are willing to forgive us, that you are willing that when we confess that you are willing to make right in our lives. Father, we thank you that we have the gift of forgiveness, but we thank you even more that we have the gift of your love. We thank you that we have the gift of relationship with you, that God, that when we desire to know you, you will, are willing and want to know us. That's the amazing thing because it just seems improbable impossible that the God who created this universe wants to know us and love us so much like you do. And so, Father, we thank you for that. God, we just want to come this morning and just ask your Holy Spirit to be here, challenging us, encouraging us. Open our hearts and minds to the Word and to hearing what you have to say into our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the Choose Your Own Topic series, as uh, for those of you that may not be aware, um, the last week, last month of the summer, I had a um, schedule problem, so I had to move around um, the messages that I was going to do, and so I thought, hey, it'd be really cool if we just had uh, a bunch of weeks where you in the audience, audience is not the theologically correct term, but you worshipers had a chance to um, pick out the message that you wanted to to do and so here's the truth the truth is thank you for seven of you because seven of you gave me a really easy topic to do it was fun it was enjoyable i mean dennis how do you get the holy spirit that's that's easy for me that was a good message uh diane said what happens when you die that's another good but easy message and then kirk had to mess everything up because he wanted to do what living in community Wow, you don't get more difficult than that. So I hemmed and I hauled and I put it off and I said, I'm going to do Kirk's last. And of course, I do have one more week. And I thought, no, I don't want to put it very last. And uh, then I thought about some of the things that have been going on. So I thought, okay, we'll make community week seven. But here's the thing. 
Community is very difficult, very difficult. It's very difficult because it doesn't come natural to us. We talk about Christian community and what biblical fellowship and biblical community is. It is very difficult and it's very hard to understand and it's a challenge for us to do it even more importantly. So I know that in the first service, um, they're not as sharp as you guys, you know. You guys are the sharp tools in the shed. Um, But I got a little muddled because it's such a complex idea, but I had practice on them, and so this service is not going to be as bad as that one, all right? It wasn't that bad, but um, but this is a difficult issue, and you will spend a lot of time, if you're a mature believer in Christ, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about this issue of community and how community is important to you, and what, how do you actually do it as a believer in Christ, and it's tough. It's not easy. Part of the problem, as we're going to talk about in a minute, is that the Bible in the original languages uses one word or concept for community. And then for a variety of reasons, Bible translators translate it into a bunch of different words in English. And that makes it a little difficult to understand sometimes community. It's supposed to bring out the nuances, I get it, but it also makes it a little difficult to teach on. So here's what we're going to talk about. Living in community this morning and the challenge for us to live in community. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, then it's critical that you are in community with other believers. And as we're going to talk about in a minute, what that really means and how that affects us. Our eight-week series then is on Choose Your Own Topic. Um, We'll do that again probably next August. This was a lot of fun. Today we're going to talk about how do we find meaningful biblical community. Honestly, it's probably going to be more about what is meaningful biblical community because that's a little easier than talking about how do you get it. In life groups and other places, we'll talk about how do you get it. Um, There'll be some how today, but it's also going to be some what is it. All right, let's see what the Bible says. Uh, Because we're dealing with topics, we're going to look at several different Bible passages to explain what we're talking about when we talk about biblical community and how we implement biblical community in our lives. Now, I wasn't really crazy about the fill in the blanks this week. Usually, I feel like I really get a good, strong uh, word choice, but this week, my word choice were poor, and so, but I don't believe there are English words by which we can really communicate what we're talking about here. So I made some English words up. I hope you don't mind. Um, I, at least one place in the message. All right. Community is church with heart. Community is church with heart. So if you got your handout, you're welcome to follow along if you're a fill-in-the-blank type of person. Community is church with heart. Here's the thing. When we talk about biblical community and we talk about church, church and biblical community are not necessarily the same thing, although they have to go together. And one of the big issues when we talk about church and we talk about community is trying to understand the problems with church in the modern era versus what God intended community to be. Let's look at this passage in 1 John. It's a great passage. Here's what the Bible says. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have community with us. And our community is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this community that John is describing here. First of all, let's just get us all on the same page. You cannot really have community, sorry, you can't really have church without having community. You cannot really have church without having community. Let me give some examples here because... Community is central to what church is. In the modern world, we kind of have this idea of attendance. But attendance is a false idea, and it's not a biblical idea. You know, we live in a modern world where a lot of times we're expected to just show up to things. If you're like a lot of you, for your job, you're like... Okay, I'm going to show up on time, but don't expect my brain and my heart to be there. And sometimes we feel that way. On Monday mornings, how many of you show up your body ahead of your brain? 
Some of you are not being honest this morning because only eight of you raised your hands. Okay, a lot of you, right? Only your body shows up, your brain shows up maybe after coffee, and your heart, I don't know, sometime. And one of the problems is, as we've been talking about this year, what's our theme this year? Our theme is dealing with lukewarm faith. Because lukewarm faith is no good. The Bible says lukewarm faith is useless. It's completely worthless. Uh, Jesus just wants to spit lukewarm people out of his mouth, basically is what the Bible says. That's how disgusting lukewarm faith is to God when we're just sort of, yeah, I guess I'm sort of kind of religious and I go to church on occasion. That's not really what God desires because God wants that intimate relationship with us. So you can't really have church without having communion. One of the problems in the modern world is that we define church as what? Church is a building, right? We go to church, but nothing could be further from the truth. You don't go to church. That's, that's a false statement, but it is the way our language works, and it leads us to a false understanding. When you have a relationship with God, you are the church, and when you become part of the church, then it's important that you unite with the church. So let me give you some examples, because we live in a world where there are people, and I've worked at really large churches, and I don't have a problem with large churches, but it makes it a little easier to give an example. But there are churches where they say now, you know, in the U.S. and Korea and other places, where they have like 30,000 people who go, or 50,000 people on Sunday morning. That's a lot of people, right? 30,000 people. That's, that, that's a lot of people. But when you go to a stadium and you hear someone speak, you roll in the parking lot, you get in, you sit in, you know, aisle K, would it be like in the Raiders, like Z, Z, C, 130, okay, 130, um, you're way up there, right? And you hear the message and then you get back in your car and you leave, have you been to church? No. Why? Because church is not you consuming religious products. Even though we define it as that a lot of times in our society. By the way, you can come to BBC, average size by American standards, average size church. You could come to BBC and you could sit in the back. I know I pick on the back folks. You could sit in the front, doesn't matter where you sit. You could sit and you could never engage in anything the church does. Just come on occasion, listen to the pastor, and you will consume your religious product. But that's not being a Christian. That's not being a follower of Jesus. That's not being part of the church. The church is the community of saints, if you want to use the old-fashioned definition. It's the communion of people working and living together for and on purpose with God. So you can't really have church without community. It's impossible to do it. At that point, you're just attending, you're just a religious consumer. And because of our society, we have lots of religious consumers, right? We consume things, we buy things, we get things, and we feel that we have a salve or a balm. What's that word? Is it, I, I never pronounced that word right. Salve, S-A-L-V-E. Salve. Okay, a close. Salve or balm in our lives to band-aid to make us feel better, but it is not being a follower of Jesus. Let's, let's step back for a second because when we talk about this idea of having relationship with God, how do you have relationship with God? How do you have relationship with God? Do you go to church? Do you get baptized? Well, those things are critically important, but is that what establishes relationship with you? No, the Bible says that the only way for a person to have relationship with God, be saved, is for that person to commit their lives to Jesus. To say, God, I'm going to follow you. I know I've made some mistakes in life. Forgive me of those mistakes. I'm going to follow you. Wherever you lead, wherever you call, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to commit my life to you. Just like if you're married, you said, I do to your spouse for better or for worse. You're basically, when you commit your life to God, you're saying, I do to him, and you're going to live for him. 
Some people come to church and they say, oh, I do. They raise their hand. They do the thing. They go through confirmation. They do this. They do that. And then they're out the door and they never come back. And that's not salvation because salvation means that you're going to be committed to that person for life. In this situation, you're going to be committed to God. And so you can't really have church without community. You can't have salvation without God. But let's wrap it all together here. God is community. We join him, then we join the church. All right, so let me explain this because this is where it gets a little muddy. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, right? If you've ever been to church before, you know that there is one God who reveals himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why that was? We Sometimes in church we use the shorthand, the Trinity, right? But the thing about the Trinity, Trinity isn't in the Bible, that word's not in there. But the concept is in there because of what the concept represents. The concept represents that God is one who does what? who is in relationship with himself. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in relationship with each other. They are the first family, if you want to put it that way. Um, that's not a, don't take that literally. But they are certainly the first relationship that ever existed in the beginning of our world. We look at like Philippians 2, I don't have it up on the big screen, but like Philippians 2, it talks about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. That God the Son did not desire to grab equality from God, but they work together because they exist in perfect harmony with with each other. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when we use the word Trinity, we are defining the relationship and the community that exists there. By the way, that community is the model for our community as well. Because God the Father and God the Son, they don't fight with each other, right? They don't, they don't yell at each other, right? They don't be like, hey, you took my eraser and so get away from me. They don't do that. They don't say, oh gosh, it's God the Father coming my way now. I'm trying to ignore him, right? They don't say that. Why not? Because they're in perfect harmony. You know, it's very instructive to look at the bookends of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 3, last two chapters of Revelation. Why? Because those are the only chapters in the Bible that explain what life is like without sin. What sin? Sin is not having an affair. That, can, that is sin. But sin is anything that we do that misses God's perfect will for our lives. So if you walk by a homeless person and you have food and you don't give it to them, that's sin. If you don't pray, that's sin. If you don't read your Bible, that's sin. If you have an affair, that's sin. If you lie, that's sin. If you murder somebody, that's sin. It's not just what you do, but it's also what you don't do because it's that lack of perfection that God desires for your life. God doesn't want your life to be okay. God doesn't want your life to be miserable. God doesn't want your life to be good. God wants your life to be awesome. And your life is not awesome because you get more toys or you get more money. Your life is awesome because you do what God asks. Because God created the universe that when we do what God God asks, God allows us to have a good life. So we look at Genesis, we look at Revelation, what do we see there? We see Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, there was no sin yet, no brokenness, no selfishness in the world, and what did they do with God? They hung out with Him. That's what they did. God, Jesus specifically, walked in the garden with them. The, translate, that means they dwelt together, they hung out together, they were neighbors together. And when we look at Revelation, the Bible says that those people are in Christ, those people who have relationship with Christ, where will they go when they die? Don't tell me heaven, because then you're going to start thinking about what Hollywood defines heaven as. What does the Bible say? We will be dwelling with God in His house. That's what it is. We will be dwelling with God. If we have relationship with God, because we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ, that we will be dwell with Him. So in Genesis, without sin, we dwell with God. Revelation, we dwell with God. And you know what? 
the point of existence is that we would be able to dwell with God in his house and share fellowship and enjoy him. That's the whole point of why he created us. So God is community, and we join him when we join the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what happens. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, I should do this. God the Father, God the Son, God... I can't do a triangle. The Holy Spirit. They were the first community. Okay? But when I choose to follow Jesus as my Savior, I become part of the family of God. Well, what does that mean? That means I go from being outside of relationship with God to inside relationship with God. But more specifically, I go from out of community with God to being in community with God, right? So now I'm a part of the community as well. Well, hey, guess what? When you become a follower of Jesus, you also do what? You join the community of God as well. So guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus, we are in the same community together. Why? Because the common point is God. Because we are both in community with Him. It's like the fact that this we, uh, when I was up in Seattle to visit my mother-in-law, stepmother-in-law is in the hospital, um, there was a family get-together for uh, my, wife's, my wife's father's family. And a lot of those people, like I'm in the family, that's the green family, I'm in the green family by marriage, right? And there's other people who are by marriage or by adoption or by, you know, whatever. But it's all still family, even though I didn't met some of the people for the first time, because we're, there's a link that draws us together. I just didn't walk up to the picnic and help myself to hamburgers and hot dogs because I thought, hey, it'd be really cool. I was hungry and I need some hamburgers and hot dogs, right? No, I was there because there was a common linkage. There was a common bond. There was a community that was created by a variety of different ways. Some by blood, some by law, some by adoption, some by different things. But we were all still part of the same community and they welcomed me in. So when we become a believer in Christ and we decide that we are going to commit to Him, then we are going to be in community with God and we're going to be in community with other people who also are in community with God. By the way, the Bible talks about church in two different ways. There's a universal church and there's a local church. And so every person who's ever been a believer in Christ, we are united with them in a very universal way because they also are believers and they're going to be dwelling with God and we're going to be dwelling with God when we pass from this world. They they may be our immediate neighbor, they may be our far neighbor, but they're still neighbors of ours. And you know what? Then there are people that we, who we actually meet on a regular basis. And those people are the people that we are called to be in community with. Let me go back to John here because it's very instructive. Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Let me go back to what John says here. All right. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Okay, he's talking about the gospel. In other words, you heard the gospel, you accepted Jesus as your Savior, so that you may have community with us. Wow, what is John saying here? He's saying, us four no more, this is our church, get out of here, hit the highway, right? Is that what he's saying? Nancy's the only one, no. Sure? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying he, we are joined together because of what God has done, that God has brought us together because of our commonality based on the blood of Christ as setting us free from the sin of our lives. So that you may have community with us. And our community, by the way, is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That our community is with God. So you're joining our community because you've committed your life to Jesus and our community happens to be the community of God. So welcome in and please be a part of our family. So biblical community. Here's the problem. Here's the issues that we're going to talk about here. Community, though, 
is never so. Let, let me let me take a step back for a second because I don't better in first service, but here's the problem. The problem is when I use the word community, what do I really mean by that? You know. Um, it, it doesn't mean attending church. I think we're clear on that, right? You can't just come to church on occasion, randomly, have some type of, get some religious product, um, whether it be the message or whatever, or you know, a blessing or whatever it is, a baptism, a confirmation, and that be your end and all faith. That's not what faith is. That's completely opposite of what the Bible describes as relationship with God and with faith. Completely opposite. But what is community then? I mean... Does that mean that like, you have to like people you go to church with? Well, yeah, but that's not exactly what it is either. We're going to talk about that in a second. Community is a really nebulous idea because, and we're going to talk about also, a lot of us struggle with basic fellowship with each other. But God is still calling us to have community and to be willing to dwell with each other and to actually work together and get along together and to serve each other. Now, here's the thing. Community is never self-serving. What do I mean by self-serving? I mean, in other words, it's not serving you. Community is not designed to benefit you. It's designed to benefit other people. Here's what the Bible says. By the way, this is Acts 2. Let me explain what Acts 2 is. Acts, if you never read the Bible, is the historical book in the New Testament that explains what happened at the early church. So, okay, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again on the third day, right? Came back, talked to the disciples, give them some instructions, hit it on up, ascended to heaven, okay, where he sits at the hand of the Father, dwelling in community with him to this day until he comes back again. Now, the thing is, is that right after that, the disciples, the apostles, the early church, just a few of them at that point were like, what do we do now? So this is the story from right after Jesus left. And it's talking about sort of the first things they did. It gives us some insights into community, but we don't want to make a bumper sticker out of this verse. And a lot of churches make a bumper sticker out of this verse, and just with any other bumper sticker verses, it doesn't work. So let's talk about it. So here's the thing, Acts 2. All the believers Jesus just left, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to community and to sharing, it's the same word there in the original language. It's just not in the English, again, they, sometimes they do fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. What? They went to church every day. Whoa. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We can't do that. No. No. Come on. No. No, no, no. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, their community, those who were being saved. So this is right again, the beginning of the church. God is pulling more people into community um, with them because more people are accepting Christ as their Savior and making a commitment to follow them. Okay, let's talk about what community is not. Because sometimes we can define what community is not, sometimes a little bit what it is, and get to the right place. Selfishness is the antithesis of godly community. I Meaning selfishness is the exact opposite of what godly community is. It's completely opposite to what godly community is. Here's the thing. Selfishness is something that we're all comfortable with. It's easy for us to be selfish, right? Selfishness comes natural to us. The problem is when we talk about selfishness, selfishness is not a synonym for sin. 
Everybody clear on that? It's not a synonym for sin. Selfishness is not sin. However, if you were to take sin, the whole concept the Bible uses, and you were to put it, make a pie chart in people's lives of sin, okay, selfishness would be like this huge piece because selfishness drives a large percentage of our sinfulness and our brokenness in our world. By the way, I was reading a book on marriage um, this week. Uh, and let's see, it's uh, His Needs, Her Needs, which I highly recommend. And it's by a Christian psychologist who uses ideas from the Bible. And then he brings in some psychological truths and that sort of thing. But from a, from a very obvious example, um, when two people get together and they get married... What normally happens is that the couples struggle because the man tries to show love to his wife by giving her what he needs, whereas the woman tries to get, show love to her husband by giving him what she needs. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. In other words... The woman tries to be romantic and affectionate with the guy who says, you know, I'm not really, you know, let me play football. And the guy says to the woman, okay, PG, says, uh, let's go to the football game. And she says, I don't want to go to a football game, right? And so what happens is, is that they try to show love to each other in a very, what? Selfish way. They don't mean to be selfish necessarily, but selfishness is what we understand. You know what makes you happy. I know what makes me happy. It'd be easy for you to say what makes you happy, but when we try to figure out what makes other people happy, boy, that's the problem, even our spouses. And so selfishness is at the root of what sinfulness is. I mean, when you look at Adam and Eve, they were selfish. They ate the fruit in the garden as an example because they wanted to do it, and it messed it up for all of us. Selfishness is the antithesis of godly community. Godly community is not about what you get. Let me say it again. Coming to church and being a part of godly community is not about what you get. It's about what you give to other people. But that's why the modern church is so kind of crazy. Because people evaluate churches based on what? What they get from it, don't they? Did the, did the music make me happy? Did the music please me? Well, I'll go to that church. Did the pastor say something that made me feel good? Well, I'll go to that church. Do they have breakfast in the morning? Oh, I'm definitely going to go to that church, right? Definitely, because it makes me happy. It pleases me. And so the problem is, is that we evaluate community on what we get out of it, which is why godly community in our world is so broken and so messed up. Because we're all in it for ourselves. But if we want to have biblical community, it's about what we give. But it's really hard to find Christians who are willing to give more than they're willing to receive. And that's the challenge. Selfishness is the opposite of godly community. We don't join community. We don't become a part of community because of what we get. We become part of community because of what we give. God doesn't call you to come to church and to be a part of godly community, because you can't really have church without community, okay? The, those words are not synonymous, but they are very close. So God doesn't call you to be a part of a godly community and a godly church so that you can get something out of it. He calls you to be a part of it so that you can give something to other people who need it. But that's why the pews are always empty in every centuration. Every, sorry, centuration. I was trying to say century or generation. Century or generation. I made up a new word again this morning. Centuration. In every centuration, iteration. <laughs> Sorry, I got back, like I said, 7.30 last night from Seattle, so I'm tired. 
every whatever throughout time, right? It's always been a struggle because selfishness is at the root of who we are and God asks us not to do that. Community is common sharing, not commune. It's easy to read uh, Acts 2 and to totally miss the point of what Acts 2 is. Acts 2 is not telling us to be in a commune. It's not saying that everybody has to live together. You know, it's not saying that I have to have Roland come live in my house now or William, that'd be even worse, right? I mean, I'm not, it's not saying that. Just, just kidding. It's not saying that. It's saying that the principle, the idea there is that the people dwelt together to so much degree that what I had, you can have, and what you can have, I can have. You know what? If you got something I need, and I got something you need, let's just use it. Let's just work together. What is community? When we talk about this idea of fellowship, we talk about this idea of dwelling together, what does it mean? If it doesn't mean living in the same house together, what does it mean? Well, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example from living together because that makes it very simple and then we can bring a more nuanced answer. You know, uh, if we have old, I use old, I'll, I'll use young. Let's say young Aunt Bertha. Okay, young Aunt Bertha needs to move into our house. Okay, or your house. Maybe you have a young Aunt Bertha. I don't know. She needs to move into your house for a variety of reasons. Good reasons, not bad reasons. Needs to move into your house. And what are you going to do when she shows up with all of her stuff? Ready to move in. What are you going to do? You're going to... No. You're going to make room for her, aren't you? You're going to make room for her in space. But you're also going to make room for her in your life. Because you love young Aunt Bertha. Okay? So you're going to make room for her in time. You're going to make room for her for conversation. You're going to make room for her at the table. You're going to make room for her. You're going to, you're going to make room for her in your life. Why? Because she's now living with you. Well, you know what? When we are dwelling together in biblical community, when we are together as believers, we make room for each other because we love each other. Why? Because we love God. Listen, it's not that we are automatically going to love each other immediately, but we love God, and so we're willing to take the chance. Oh, let's talk about chances, because this is the problem. Let me be honest here. Can I be honest for a second? Nobody in first service got mad. Let me just be honest. Okay, just be honest. Here's the problem. So, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I know the truth. The truth is, is that many of you don't really want to be in community with other people. And I know why. Because a lot of you, me too, it's all of us, we come from broken families and we come from situations where people have hurt us and we come from brokenness more than health. And so when we go to church, we say, I don't want to take a chance on those people. I don't want to take a chance to get to know them because I don't want to be hurt again. Me, you, all of us. It's, we, the world is very broken. But I don't have an answer, but I do have a suggestion. That won't work. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. Listen, let's say you're 16 years old. You're a guy. You like girls. Go to the head cheerleader. You ask her out. She says, no, I hate you. Get out of my life. Whatever, dude. Not going to happen. You know, with the head or whatever. Pom-poms. I don't know. She says, No. And you say, fine, I'm never going to ask another girl out again, as long as I live. Okay, if you're called to singleness, fine, God bless you. But most people aren't. And so at that point, you've just basically written off all women completely. 
And you've eliminated from the possibilities of your life what? The joy of being married. Yeah, it is a joy. Okay? It's hard work, but it's a joy. The joy of kids, perhaps. The joy of just knowing someone intimately like marriage would bring. You've written it off. Why? Because you were afraid of being hurt again. Well, some of you have had bad church experiences. I'm sorry. Some of you have bad family experiences like me. I'm sorry. I, I, but I know that you cannot ignore relationship with other believers because to do it is to ignore what God wants to do in your life. So you could call it take a chance. You could call it, you know, just get out there and do it. I don't know what words you want to use, but I know that you will not be happy if you don't do it. By the way, Kirk um, and Christina, who raised this question, they're coming from a college environment, you know? And college is, by the way, very communal and relational because you, you live in the dorms with everybody and you, you get to know everybody and it's at an age in your life where it feels natural to, to be in close community. But by the time you're old and my age, you like have your family and then people you work with and we don't like the people we work with. I'm just, I mean, I do, but I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know about Rex. Uh, but we like most of the people we work with, right? And, uh, you know, and then there's a few other people that we know and then that's it, right? We've got a few friends, but when you're older, you don't have a... I mean, older, I'm going to find is older than 25 at this point. By the time you reach over 25, 26, 27, it's really hard to make friends. It's really hard to have relationships, so we kind of close up around a few people. But you know what? It's not about you. That's the problem. Because if you still don't want to be in community, it's because what you are thinking what you will get from it. And that's not what God intends. God wants you to open your lives up to other people so that you can give to them, not so you can get. What if they hurt me? What if they abuse me? What if they're mean to me? What if they're nasty to me? Well, I pray that will not be the case, but we don't live in a perfect world and it's going to happen. But you do it not because of what you get. You do it because of what you give to them. And so if you're hurt by it, you're going to have to do it again because you're going to do it because you love them. Now, we're not talking about being a doormat, okay? Selfless does not mean being a doormat. We're clear on that. Somebody comes and beats you up a bunch of times, you don't put your face back out there and let them beat you up more. That's, and by the way, that's not what Jesus said when he says, turn the other cheek either. That's, that's a, a misunderstanding in our culture. Being a doormat, um, let me get my left and right. Being a doormat, and being selfish are two extremes. The healthy medium that God wants you to be is to be selfless to other people. Selfless means putting them in front of you. doesn't mean giving them everything you own necessarily, but it does mean helping them, letting, as David said in first service, letting your sorrows and your joys be one together and be united together. And that's the thing. That's why church doesn't work as a consumer of religious products. That's not what church is. When you go into church, you walk in, you get you this, do this, jump this, do that. You're done. You got your stadium, got your small church. It doesn't matter size. And you've done your thing. Your thing is not what the Bible defines as being church or biblical community. It's just you getting a religious product. But religious products don't get you to heaven. Religious products just make you feel probably a little good and a little guilty, um, but don't lead anywhere useful in life. 
Community is common sharing, you sharing in common with other people. You got something that someone else needs, give it to them or sell it to them at a fair price. You got, they got something you need, you work together. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's we're praying for each other, we're helping each other, we're serving each other. Those are things we do because we love each other, but not really because the main reason why we do it is because we love God. I may not like it that Roland's in the family of God with me. I do. But I may not like it, but you know what? I love God and he loves God, so we're in the same family, so I better just accept it and get along with it because I'm going to be stuck with him for a long, long time. <laughs> right? That's true. Community is not as common sharing. Now, here's the thing. Real quickly as we finish up here, community is always intentional. This is what I've been hitting on because community doesn't happen just because it just happens. Community is intentional. You decide whether you want to be in community or not. When you come and just sit in the back of a church or you just take a religious product, you're not choosing community. You're not choosing to be a part of the church. You're not a part of the church. It's not what church means in the Bible. It's what church means in English, but it's not what church means in the Bible. And so when we talk about this idea of community, community is something that we intentionally do. It's something that we decide that we're going to be in because we want to serve other people. Let's look at what the Bible says. I have an interesting verse here. Um, this is Paul talking about the body of Christ. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So we're all in the same community. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Now, a lot of times pastors use this passage to talk about what we need to do in the church, right? But I want to just point out something even more basic than that. Because the Bible uses this metaphor of being the body as being, you know, sort of the way the church, the body of Christ, the church comes together and is in community with each other. But here's the thing. The body is all connected. And if parts of the body just refuse to be the body then you're not going to have a very good body. I mean, what if the hand, let's assume for a second that Rex is the hand, and Rex decides he's going to come to church and he's not going to do anything. He's just going to get some religious product and then he's going to leave. The hand does nothing. Boy, that's, I mean, I shouldn't use that one. The pinky, pinky does nothing, right? The pinky just sits there. It's useless. It's just on the body. I wish I could do like the zombie thing, you know, and just have like my limbs just be, you know, so I could show you more accurately. But the church... Is full of limbs and parts of the body that just sit there and do absolutely nothing because they're not in community. They're barely connected. You know, if Roland is the pancreas of the church, <laughs> then he can sit there and do nothing or he can pancreate or whatever the pancreas does. It was, I thought of that in the first service, so I wanted to use it in this service. That was a good one. I thought. You know, if you're the hand... Do something, but more importantly, just don't sit there and do nothing because it's intentional. You know, people walk into the door of a church and they decide about staying on the church, staying at the church or, being, or attending the church because of what they got out of it. But it's not what we get, it's what we give. And by the way, it doesn't just happen naturally. 
You know, when you're in college, you get thrown together with a bunch of people and community is largely forced. Why? Because you've got a huge building with like 300 co-eds or 400 guys in it. And you know what? You're going to have forced community. Same way with the military. There's forced community there. But when you're not in those situations, you're all, a lot of times it's just easy to just go somewhere and just seek out the people who, you know, are like, or, oh, better yet, I like it. This is the one I like. A lot of people go to church. And they think, they walk in, they say, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. I'm not going to come back here. They go around this church and that church. And they find church where they feel it. What is it they're supposed to feel? The Holy Spirit? No, uh, don't lie to me because that's a lie. This is just a total lie. It's not the Holy Spirit. They're looking for the magic of relationship. But you know what? What relationship is there just magic at the beginning? Oh, well, maybe dating. But sooner or later you figure out it don't work like that. Right? Any relationship that's meaningful, you have to work at. It don't come natural. And so people walk in the door of the church and they don't feel it immediately. And so they say, oh, you know, I'm not really going to be a part of church. I'm just going to drift around for a while till I find the right place. You'll never find the right place. Never, ever, ever. You know why? You know who creates community? The pastor, right? Come on, you're not listening this morning? Nancy's the only one getting an A so far this morning. No, it's not my... There's some things that are my job. But creating community is not my job. You guys have to do it. You have to be willing to, to live and dwell together. It's not doesn't mean commune, but you have to be in community with each other. By the way, studies show over and over and over again. Again, I, I pastor in really large church, medium-sized church, average church, even small churches. And the thing is, is that... Um, it doesn't matter how big the church is, there's only eight people that you're going to know very well in a church. That's it. Eight people that you're going to be very close to. Okay? You're going to know a lot of people, but there's only eight people that you can interact with any depth or meaning. There's no way that I can interact with all of you in any depth or meaning for any amount of time. It's just not possible. And praise God, because I don't need to. Because I just need to have eight people here that I'm in community with. And then you eight people I'm in community with need to have eight people around you. And you know what? We're all united in the same body. Listen, I may be the big toe and Shirley may be the hair follicle and we may be pretty far apart because there's several degrees of separation between us because Shirley's eight is William and uh, Christina and whoever and my eight is, I don't know, Roland and Jeremy or whoever, right? But we're still all in the same community because of the depth and intimacy of the people that we know and we relate to. Which is the reason why, no matter how big the church is, I'll tell you what, I know pastors who pastor megachurches, and they'll tell you, the secret to having a healthy, large church is you have lots and lots of really, really small groups. That's the secret. You know why? Because we have to have community with each other. And without real community, there is no church. And without real community, there is no growth and there is no way for us to serve and love other people. So, sadly, many Christians never enjoy community. You know why they never enjoy community? Because they're either concerned about what they get or they're concerned about what they can get from it, or they're concerned about will it hurt them, or they're concerned about I don't want to bother with it, or they're concerned about so many other things rather than just asking God, God, what do you want me to give to these people? 
By the way, the standard for relationship in the church is much deeper than the standard for non-believers, right? Because God says we're supposed to love God and love other people, right? And that's the general rule by which we live our lives. But we don't love our neighbor like we love our spouse, right? Hope not. Thank you. Right. One guy's away. Good. Hope not. Right. There's a difference. We don't love our neighbor like we love our kids. Well, you know what? We're not supposed to love our church like we love our neighbor either, though, because there's supposed to be a deeper relationship with the people of God that we worship with. That transcends gender. It transcends ethnicity. It transcends culture. It transcends everything else. And so when we love God, we will naturally love the people who also love Him, that are also in relationship with Him, and we'll want to be in relationship with them. We all just want to hide in the back and not talk to them, but we'll want to be selflessly giving to them. And by the way, that is much closer to the definition of church as is in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, Lord, and we just ask that we would be willing to have community. First of all, Father, there may be some people here who, you know, they don't have any relationship with God to begin with, so they can't be in community with the church. You know, maybe they're here today and they just need to say, God, you know, I've been, I've been hearing the pastor this morning and wow, it's just, you know, I'm missing something in my life. Well, what you may be missing is Jesus. Because the Bible says that, that God created us and he loves us and that we have sinned and we have made mistakes and we have rebelled against God and we've acted selfishly. And so if we continue on that path, that path leads to death and destruction. But that if we commit our lives to Jesus, that it leads to freedom and grace and love. And so when we commit our lives to Jesus, we say to him, yes, God, I commit to you. I love you. I, I thank you for Jesus dying on the cross and for forgiving me of my sins. I want eternal life. I want abundant life here on earth. If you're not a believer here this morning and you feel those things, you can just say it to God. You can just say, God, I love you. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Please help me to go in the, in the direction you want. I'm, I want to trust in Jesus and him alone as my savior and redeemer. And I just want to commit my life to you and I want to live for you. No more living for myself. I'm not king anymore. You're king, God. You're king now. Father, we just pray for the rest of us here this morning who are believers that we would be challenged to live in community. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.